0: to you currently from Earth, but with our sights beyond, on our calendar, we might be coming to you from Mars. That's just a sneak peek at the if that's coming in. I'm going to bring in our special guest in one moment. Very excited. We have a fantastic show for you today. Um, coming to you without uh, time delay.
1: Uh, well, some time delay, right? People might be listening to this, like yeah, a week time from shifted. now, six years, or something.
0: Right? Exactly. <laughs> you may be listening to this on Mars, so if so, awesome. That would be um cool. <laughs> That is Matt Stanley, professor of uh, history of science at New York University. How are you, sir?
1: Uh, I'm uh, just fine. Um, uh, there's finally some nice
0: weather, so it's, uh, indeed, nice change of pace. Mm-hmm. Indeed, I was uh, I was just down in uh, the village recently, and it was wonderful. Trees were blossoming. Everybody seemed to be back. It seemed like, you know, a total um, disease vector. Oh yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, we do it better than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Speaking of disease vectors. Oh, thank you. And i only Incredible. mean that in the Worst best way. Worst introduction ever. In the best way possible. Uh, we also have with us, as always, Gabby Panisio, virologist from Rockefeller University, a little further uptown, a little classier.
2: Yes, uh, slightly less diseased, hopefully. Well, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's kind of a lot of viruses in my lab, so maybe you can't exactly say that, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also in bloom, right, uh, Rockefeller is a lovely
2: you know what's arboreal funny?
0: campus. Yeah. It hasn't
2: fully started yet. So like oh. last year, all of the azaleas just went boom at once and it was just like a color explosion. So far we've had the crocuses have all come up. Um, we're starting to get some of the normal like daffodils and stuff like that. Um, and they also haven't filled the ponds yet. We have a bunch of fountains and stuff like that. And the ducks huh. are really impatient. Like the first families of ducks are here and they're like, bro, where's the water? Because they kind of, I guess, rely on this as like, you know, where they they have their babies every year. Um, So they're getting really, really impatient, I think, with the groundskeepers. That that
0: inexplicably reminds me of uh, when I used to visit my grandmother's retirement community. And the funniest sight to me was that just before the sun came up, hours before the tennis courts actually opened, the other 70, 80, and even 90 year olds uh, had showed up and were climbing the fences of the tennis court <laughs> so they could get wow. in to play tennis because they were just impatient. And they would do it.
2: Oh. You know, bolt cutters would do it probably a little faster <laughs> just true. to really clip the locks. <laughs> true. true.
0: And I was just, I wasn't, you know, I was impressed. I mean, it's true. I guess the, the clock is ticking for them. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. and, yeah, yeah, get them one last game. Get yeah. in the game. Exactly. <laughs> shit. <one> <laughs> Completely unrelated. There's absolutely no segue from that to our guest. And so I'm just nipping it in the bud, just shut the shut it down and raise the curtain again uh, to welcome Chris Carberry back to the show. CEO of the Humans to Mars Summit coming up in Washington, D.C. in just uh, under a month. Is that correct? A month
3: less than a month now, May 17th through 19th. So coming up quickly. Amazing, And it's our first event since, hard to believe, since 2019. Nope. I never wow. would have dreamed when we closed down our event in May 2019 at the National Academy of Sciences, it would be three years before we were meeting again in person.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's everything is. One of the reasons I'm, I'm psyched, uh, 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 I'm honored you invited me as a member of the press. I thought so you were
3: saying you're a psychic. I'm psychic. I'm psyched. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am not psychic yet. Yeah. Um, But uh, uh, I'll be representing uh, the press, the illustrious free press of the world, uh, and also this podcast, and doing my best to get the word out about the conference um, by attending there. So look forward, I'll be bringing you updates from there, and uh, maybe even as we get closer to it. Um, So I'm super psyched about it. And uh, just for those who have no idea what is this Humans to Mars Summit, um, give people just a, a quick idea.
3: Well, Humans to Mars Summit is the largest conference in the world, annual conference in the world, focused on essentially getting humans to Mars. And our goal is to get humans to Mars by the mid-2030s. And obviously, we have people like high-level NASA people, industry people, people working on mission architecture and science, but it goes well beyond that. One of my favorite things are the innovators. We like bringing in people from all different areas of innovation. Uh, Because sometimes we focus too much on the transportation, you know, the rockets. And those are important. We're not going to Mars without the rockets. However, there's a lot of other other stuff. You know, we have to breathe. We need to eat. We need to um, communicate. We need medicine. So one of the things that we like highlighting a lot are all these different innovations that are required for sustainability on Mars, but also could have benefits to Earth. You know, how can by looking at this medical remote medicine technology, can it benefit Mars, but also be transformative here on Earth? Because you're looking at the problem through the Mars lens. And so that's one of the exciting things, because this is really a growing field, whereas we're showing that there actually is money in Mars, meaning companies can invest without spending billions or hundreds of millions, sometimes it's the low order millions or even thousands of dollars, and they can make an impact. So we like looking at that area. We talk about STEM education, lots of STEM education discussions. We have, you know, we like bringing in the entertainment industry as well to talk about this collaboration, this ongoing collaboration between space and the entertainment industry and how we can improve improve that over time. But as I said before, of course, we will have updates on things like, you know, the current Mars rovers and orbiters, you know, upcoming missions. Uh, the upcoming Artemis 1 launch that's going to send uh, an uncrewed probe around, um, capsule around the Orion, around the moon, yeah. as well as all the interesting things coming up. We truly are at a kind of a pivotal point in human history. We've never been so prepared to start truly exploring space. So the next decade should be really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Never, never has it been so active and so varied. I mean, the variety of everything going on in, just in space in general as you follow it is, is amazing. Oh, it's, a, you know? it's
3: amazing. and yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off, but yeah, also in addition to like the Artemis 1 launch, you know, SLS sitting on the launch pad, you also have Starship, you know, sitting on yeah. the pad right now. Two massive rockets uh, at the same time ready to launch and all these other companies investing. The level of investment is extraordinary. So it's not going to happen not going to happen. When we go to Mars, it won't be like we went to, the, during the Apollo program when we went to the moon. It's going to be so many collaborations between public and private as well as international partners. And it, it just very, it's fascinating how this is developing over time and really quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's just to give people an image uh, and then we'll get to our specific scenario for today. But uh, there was an image from, from the most recent. Uh, It was a SpaceX launch to the station, yes. And it was SpaceX launching a private astronaut company, Axios, right, to the space station. But anyway, but at the launch, there was, as you say, multiple launch pads at Kennedy Space Center, all with rockets on them from different organizations ready Mm -hmm. to go. I mean, it looked like something out of a, you know, a Chesley Bonestell painting from the...
3: Interestingly, that was the second. That wasn't even the first time that NASA, not NASA, that SpaceX launched a private crew. It was the first time to the space station. Right, right. But the first all private crew happened last September, the um, Inspiration4 mission. One of my board members, Dr. Cyan Proctor, was on board. And she was the first, she was only the fourth African-American woman to go on, you know, be a crew member uh, in space. And the first African American woman to be a pilot for an orbiting spacecraft. And fortunately, I don't have it handy because she also brought up the Explorer Mars banner, which I would hold up
0: for you, but I don't have it within arm's length reach. So, no, and she is one of a ton of people I am super psyched to see at the conference. I see you have her, uh, right? She's speaking at the conference. Um, she will be speaking
3: on the third day of the conference a couple times so she yeah we're i'm really looking forward to that as well
0: amazing yeah and and this is no this is no sort of like oh a bunch of you know strange like this offbeat kind of thing this is the the kickoff speaker is the uh, administrator of nasa and uh yeah. you, these are really yeah Although uh, 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 now people. he's
3: probably going to be the final speaker on the first day his mm. he's he yeah, has a conflict in the morning. So regardless, the administrator, uh, Senator, you know, former Senator Bill Nelson will be yeah. speaking on the first day. But well, you know, as mentioned, you're right. It's This conference isn't people. <laughs> uh, the speakers are all high level people, the people who are actually doing it. Yeah. It's, you know, all the key mission architects, all the key scientists and, you know, just extraordinary innovators from around the world. Although it's, I have to admit, it is more challenging. Still getting people around the world because the travel restrictions and the challenges we're still facing them. So this is this one is more challenging. to pull together just with still with COVID restrictions and travel limitations from various companies and and space organizations around the world are still there, but it's still coming together well. But we hope. Certainly hope that we will have
0: no more of these problems when we do this again next year. Yeah, yeah. Although it does seem fitting somehow that for a conference about traveling to Mars, it, there should be some. There should be a little friction, you know, just to make <laughs> it more exciting. <laughs> just to make it, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like a run through. Um, so here's here's our scenario. Here's our what the if. Uh, um, uh, actually, Matt, if you want to just explain to people people who've just dropped in from from Mars or other heavenly bodies, mm-hmm. um, either the one under our feet or you know others. Uh, what is going on, and why is it we're going to? What what are we about to imagine? Um, why do you we uh, Well,
1: so what we, what we do here is uh, we add something to the world, or take it away, or change something. So we give humans tails, or we change red to blue. Uh, and then we run with the consequences and see what uh, we have done to our little corner of the universe. Uh, <laughs> and l- that's our if.
0: I um, love changing red to blue. <laughs> that's fun. That would just, well, that, I'm going to write that down actually. What if we just <laughs> change red to blue? Rather um, than traffic intersections, I'm not sure I'm going to do.
1: But.
0: Not to mention the politics of the entire United States thrown up yes, in an up right. again. Um, <clears throat> So this week, we ask, we use our imagination in the interest of science and understanding all the things that go on, and not just in science, technology, engineering, society, all those things, all wrapped up in one ball of fun we call What the If. Uh, We're going to ask, what the if? (music) The Humans to Mars Summit. We're taking place on Mars. It's, tr- it's in the future, so Chris has time to plan. But imagine you're gonna go to a wonderful, scintillating science, industry, and society conference on Mars, and attending virtually is weak. So if you're, t- if you're attending virtually, well, it's a it's a slightly less, you know, registra- slightly lower registration fee, but you're you're wimping out, and in fact, there would be technical problems just right then and there with the time delay. So, so let's get right to it. So, Chris, um, you mentioned that uh, sort of the mission statement or, or description of your of your organization uh, or of the summit is uh, the largest group that um, focuses on hu- you know getting humans to Mars by twenty thirty. So by the mid twenty thirties, you know. That's right, right, right. Because of COVID, we, we pushed it back. <laughs> yeah, we pushed it back. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, pushed it back a few a few Mars uh, Earth uh, cycles. And um uh so now that would be, I'm guessing, the time when you're thinking that would be the first pioneers arriving on Mars or you know, that would be, you know,
3: Assuming that'll be the initial mission, you know, probably a crew of between four and six, basically testing out the equipment, making sure we can actually survive on Mars. You know, we, you know, we've over the years, we've heard about one way missions to Mars or sending large spacecraft with 100 people on the first mission to go there and colonize on the first mission. But I've never found that to be particularly realistic because there are so many things we don't know. And so you probably end up with 100 dead settlers on Mars, which would not be good public relations. And so, you know, it's better to figure out if we can actually live there. If we, you know, we're pretty sure we can live off the land, utilize the water, utilize the CO2 in the atmosphere. And but it would also be good to know if there was, you know, anything that might kill us instantaneously. We know there are perchlorates in the in the regolith, which is toxic to humans. We're Mm. aware of that. There may be other things, so it probably be best that we go and have really talented people figure it out, and then just start building it up, and then, you know, over time, that it might be time to send people one way, and I hope that will happen one day, but first things first, we need to make sure that we actually can live on Mars. Right,
0: and and as far as we know so far, uh, those who are attending, uh, I do have a return ticket from the conference, you know, so... Uh, yeah. Currently, the... far, we have not had one way uh, trips to
3: our conference
0: <laughs> <laughs> one way, although, you know, trips to D.C. It's always a little, you know, you never know what's going to happen in Washington, D.C., but whatever does stays in D.C. Anyway. Um, what year might we actually get to the point where, like, there'd be so much of a thriving society that it would be not unheard of to have a conference? such as yours on Mars? I mean,
3: 25 years That's a good question, later? and it really depends on who's doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, on the, in, from the governmental perspective, the new presidential NASA budget that the Biden administration just put out said we need to get to Mars no later than 2040, which is later than we prefer, and it's actually still also inconsistent with what Congress has been pushing for years. But even regardless... Regardless if it's like 2039 or even 2033, it's, you know, it's going to take a little time to build this up. Now, we'll see how quickly the um, commercial sector really can come into play. Obviously, it's one of the reasons or the primary reason SpaceX was founded in the first place. So let's assume that we actually, you know, get there in the mid 2030s, you know, we have consistent growth and then hopefully... For instance, companies like SpaceX or others can also do things separately, you know, on their own once we're already there. yeah. You know, let's just say maybe by and it's, this is still fairly ambitious, maybe by 2050, maybe there could be enough infrastructure where it would still be a really expensive conference. Right, but, right. you know, maybe you could have, you know, get people to come, but it would still be a struggle. It probably still wouldn't be hotel rooms and things like that. And uh, as you mentioned, the virtual the virtual participation would be challenging because there's a big time delay when you're communicating with Mars. So, you know, by the time you saw the um, the conference, you know, speaker and you wanted to ask a question, you know, the speaker would probably be done 20 minutes ago, and then it would take another 20 minutes for the question to come. So that that. So there would be that problem. So it would be much more practical to be there in person. So you know, but the key thing would be having that critical infrastructure. You know, will there be hotel rooms on Mars? You know, a good example of one, you know, concept. The um, the um, the UAE, United Arab Emirates, had been has been pushing this program. They call. Uh, 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 what do they call it? They're basically envisioning a Mars city in the year twenty one seventeen or eighteen. I can't remember what the date was because they were at our conference and they were talking about it. I think it may have been seventeen, and so even countries like the UAE are envisioning actually having cities by twenty one seventeen. So you know, I I think hopefully we'll have the the infrastructure there beforehand. But, you know, maybe 20, 20, 40, 50 or 60, you can start having small ones. Maybe there's some infrastructure, you know, since people are talking about orbital hotels now, maybe over the next 10 years, they'll be actually planning the Martian hotels. I ho- Hopefully that'll be the key thing, you know, that more than more than just astronauts or more than just potential uh, settlers on Mars will be able to go to Mars, because frankly, I'd
1: like to go to Mars one day, but I don't want to stay. (laughs) That's right. So if we're going to attend the conference, how far in advance do we need to make our travel reservations? (laughs) Probably,
3: you know, with Mars, I'd say, well, at least two years, because, you know, there's a two-year window, so we have to pick years. Unless we have a real big breakthrough in propulsion technology, you know, we can only launch things to Mars every two years because of the orbital alignment orbital mechanics mm-hmm. and otherwise it's going to take too much time and too much energy to get to mars so every two years is the window so you're going to have to plan this out and um so i'd say at least two years probably more because you know just making sure that you have a seat you know, on whichever vehicle yeah, that's, that's going right. there. And those. it's going to take you probably with current propulsion technology. We may have some breakthroughs with nuclear propulsion. It's probably going to take you between six and eight months to get there. And so you really you really need to have to make a commitment to go to this conference on Mars. Yeah, However, it'd be, be a real bummer
1: okay. if... Uh you know, you get bumped from your flight at the last second and you have to wait another <laughs> two, two years <laughs> plus six months for the the
0: next flight. Yeah, right. although it'd be kind of like, you know, athletes have with the Olympics, right? If you miss the Olympics. That's right. Oh, it's another two years. Um, yeah, and, and so it's every two years, and, and the flight itself is six to nine months depending on when you, uh, when you take off. Um, there is always talk about a... Um, What's it called? That there's that you could set up a circular. It still would be every two years, though. I guess. because Cycler. A, a cycler, right? Yeah, that would be ships that are just constantly orbiting, basically also a, a bus route.
3: Yeah, Buzz it has been Buzz Alden's been advocating that concept for oh. years.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Right on. So, uh, yeah, you could fly, 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 Buzz. I think I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fly Buzz. All right, <laughs> fly Buzz to the conference. Um. Uh. Gabby, when you're you're looking ahead to uh, attend, the, I'm guessing you've been to conferences, maybe maybe many yeah. of them. Although I'm unfortunately,
2: they, you know, all of them have been canceled in the last two and a half years. But you yeah. know, in the golden era before this, I had been at conferences.
0: Right. And so, what is, what's something what's something you'd be looking forward to doing, or what's something you want to make sure you'd be planning uh, at at the beginning of this uh, process for you going to the conference to report.
2: What's kind of interesting, right, conferences are normally, I feel like they're kind of like this sprint. When you're at a conference, it's like three days of kind of nonstop. You wake up early, you go to the conference, you go to bed late, and you kind of just like collapse into the hotel room bed. And then the next morning you're up again early and you're back out there. Um, But what's kind of amusing to me is you're spending six months on the bus with the same people you're going to be at the conference with. So there's no rush to do your networking. They might be storing whatever, you know, their presentation is for the next six months or what have you, or I don't know, getting updated data beamed to the ship from Earth, uh, really revising that PowerPoint. Um, But you really better like the other people in your field while you're on this bus, or you're going to have an interesting time at the conference Uh, and on the way back.
3: Yeah, and hopefully you don't get the middle seat. Yeah.
2: (laughs) They make it a little uh a little difficult that's I think. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh
0: it's it it sounds more like uh I don't know Matt, do you know in in history where there it, it reminds me more of the age of cruise ships, you know. Um, yeah,
1: that's right. So like in the um before air travel was cheap, sort of early 20th century, um they would have international conferences that might take a month to get there um and then a month to get back. So you would essentially have to like Take a sabbatical from your job um, if you wanted to attend the conference. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, one of these um, international conferences was in August of 1914. Oh. Um, so war actually broke out during the conference. Um, <laughs> wow! So then the, the the British and the German scientists had to hang out together on the boat for another couple of months um, until they could get <laughs> home and start shooting each other.
0: What a great story.
1: Yeah, that was kind of an interesting one. And uh, they, uh,
0: What was it the was, conference? Uh, it going? was
1: the British Association for the Advancement of Science. It was one of the big um, uh, British um, uh, scientific societies, and they were meeting in Australia that year.
0: In Australia? Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Has anyone written a book on that? Or you, you should write a book on it.
1: Uh, it is mentioned in, in my book. Um, uh. But uh, yeah, I don't know if we could take a whole
0: the whole book itself. But a, m- Mentioned in Einstein's War. That's correct. Yeah. By Matthew Stanley. A fantastic book, by the way. Yes, about Einstein and World War I. Um, uh, yeah, so that's fun. So, so actually, Chris, I can imagine that in a way the conference is actually um, that the a cruise phase <laughs> of the journey, um, could actually, the, the conference itself could actually be kind of a rolling one, but it, it had kind of would have its most exciting days on the, uh, on the, oh, yeah. I mean, itself. I suppose
3: you could, you could be like that six to eight month,
0: you know, ongoing conference. You talk about
3: it. Then you have the demonstration phase on Mars, whereas you're yeah. talking about ISRU, you're talking about water, talking about, looking for signs of life on Mars, and then you actually get to there and you have the demonstration phase where everybody's actually going out to different sites and, you know, much more hands-on than a real conference.
0: You know,
3: real conferences sometimes have good hands-on stuff, but not as cool as
0: going to Mars itself. No, <laughs> yeah, that I mean, that there have been ambi- ambitious conferences, but this would be the best. Um, I'm gonna. It's interesting. My mind jumps right to, even though we're gonna come back and we're gonna stay on Mars for a while. But um, I'm trying. I'm just thinking of the people on the way home. Imagine, you know, how do you imagine they might be changed on the way home after having been on Mars for? Let's give them a week. I mean, just going there for three or a month or something. I mean, going there for three days and then bouncing right back would be kind of late. Yeah, no,
3: and that, that comes to, it suppose, how long it'll be also because right now there's the there are different trajectories, trajectories you go to Mars. You have an opposition class right. mission, which, at least with current technology, where you actually stay um, a year and a half on the surface. So it's like right. three years right. away, but you can do a short stay at. Uh, a Conjunction class, mix- mission, and uh, am I mixing them up? We short stay and long stay, <laughs> long stay, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. the short stay you can stay upwards like a month, and then you come back. But you're still you're actually spending more time in space. So, uh, but you're, you're 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 away from Earth a shorter period of time. So right. Right. you could you could theoretically do that one. You do the conference on the surface for a few weeks, and then still come back
0: at that point. Right, right. You have to remember there's a launch window from Mars as well uh, that you have to stick to. But imagine, imagine the, uh, uh, if we just leapt ahead. So Gabby and Matt, you're on the way back now. How are you changed from having, uh, you know, it was all theoretical for you personally. And now you're coming back and like you were actually there.
1: Well, I'm usually a little pretty tired after a, a conference. Right, it's got to be said. It's a it's bit true. of a sprint, so you're you're going for
0: a long time. This would be a sprint at a third of Earth gravity, I think. Uh, right? Yeah, Um okay. right. Yeah, you
3: haven't experience jet lag until you've gone to Mars <laughs> and come back. <laughs> uh, well, that is
2: yeah, that's rocket break, lag. Go for that. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so I'd like to get some napping on the way home. That would be nice. Yeah
2: it was funny that you mentioned being tired because the first one of the things that i was thinking was like okay well you're going from earth gravity zero gravity for a long stretch of time but then at least when you finally get to stretch your legs again the gravity's a little lighter so you're like oh, okay <laughs> yeah. like don't take it phase back into. Anyway, but i could imagine there is probably some real like you know gravity lag you get back on earth after you know a year basically not experiencing earth gravity you're probably like oh oh this is not great yeah um yeah, Probably lost it. a little muscle tone, unless you're really, really working hard on the uh, the ship gym. Well, that's well,
3: the thing. You're yeah. going to have to work that into your uh, into the conference itself. That's right. You know, physical fitness. It's yeah, because your muscles, your bone, you know, uh, obviously your heart, you know, will degrade over time. in the micro microgravity, we don't have a clue. I mean, we have a clue, but we don't actually know for sure. Uh, how much of an impact one-third gravity will have on right. our bodies you know will that be sufficient to maintain everything will it just will it have be just one-third as effective as Earth <laughs> you know we yeah. don't know and so that's one of the big questions and so we've hoped over years to do testing on you know long-term testing testing and simulated Mars gravity on mammals oh. thus far not you know, Extensive tests have not been done, so right. you know on body mass, but also um, reproduction. One of the big um, um, taboos in space exploration. And there are two taboos that I've always noted: it's one's alcohol in space, which I wrote a book about. Yes. The other one's is sex in space, yeah. and so uh, which is far more complicated <laughs> in, in all, every <laughs> respect. You know there are any ethical. Yeah, legal issues and etc. Are, are far more complex. But it's one of these things, you know. If you have a large group of people away at a conference, you know, <laughs> yes. you're going you're going to probably encounter that issue. And what, what are what are the repercussions of that?
1: Yeah, actually, and that That's the round messy. trip time is enough that someone could get pregnant, uh, gestate, have a baby before yeah. they get back. Um, uh, that would be quite a tale, actually. <laughs> and
3: and could frankly, on a more serious note, could the um could the infant survive on Earth? We don't know, oh, wow. you know, and it depends on where the baby was conceived. Also, wow, in the transit period with no gravity, um, whereas we don't know, or I mean, we don't know also on Mars. Unless Mars, you have gravity, so the um, yeah, it would have been conceived within. you know, within a gravity field and probably maybe even born in gravity. I I don't know. There's so many variations on this, but we have no idea. But these are one of these inevitable things. We talk about colonizing Mars, colonizing other places. But these are big questions that we have no idea about that could seriously undermine any long-term plan. If we can't actually have, if we can't reproduce on another planet or at least in another gravity, that kind of eliminates the prospect of permanence anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, if I know anything about humans, we'll find a way. And, right. uh, <laughs> um, but the fascinating thing is actually, you know, if we're talking about, the, by the time the conference happens, so let's get back, now we're, we're arriving, we're landing, and we're attending the conference on Mars. Um, you know, we're, we're, we've said we're, we're there's already a society on Mars by the time we get there, perhaps even a generation or two. So literally just the idea that there'd be a generation means that there have been uh, families and people who have grown up Mm -hmm. on Mars or in the process of growing up on Mars. And, and, and for sure, right. One of the most fascinating panel discussions slash demonstrations or whatever you would call it at the conference would be about family life on on Mars, I could imagine. What would that look like? What's yeah, that? I don't know. It,
3: it, it, it's fascinating. It's one of these things. And you know, and how not just the whole reproduction thing, but just how even separate from the fact that you're living in habitats, just mm. how humans adjust differently to one third gravity because that is a significant difference if you go you'd have to be very careful on mars you know if you're in a habitat and if the ceilings aren't very high if you just do a normal jump that you do on earth you would probably bump your head on the ceiling because you're not being held down as much yep and okay. so there are all these sorts of adjustments that would have to be made to accommodate this, and it really it will just transform how people live because you we live everything according to one gravity. Yeah, but yeah. think of all the different things, even how you drink fluids. You know, it's you could still pour it into a glass, but you'd have to adjust. You might actually have to create um, different types of um, glasses that. You could still pour it into, but might have to have a little lips over it so you don't splash it over the edge because it would be much more easy to do that. Yeah. It it just so encompasses so many elements of how we live that we just take for granted, you know, one gravity. But when you get to Mars, it just changes an awful lot of different things. And we don't even know how, for instance, how plants grow. We don't know, as I'd mentioned earlier in a previous interview, we don't know how... um, you know fermentation would work yeah so many different elements that might change and we might have new products based on that so things might look different taste different just based on this whole entirely new environment yeah
0: gabby what's a uh, an event at the conference you'd be um, you'd have on your calendar for sure well
2: obviously i'm going straight to anything biology related Um, Because the stuff about, you know, mining on Mars or stuff like that might be pretty cool, but I am fundamentally a biologist and a nerd for that. Um, So genuinely the kind of things that I'm interested in is, you know, what systems are we adapting to be able to grow food, um, to be able to support ourselves? Um, Because, you know, there's, and Chris, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is there's not a whole lot of oxygen on Mars. That atmosphere is pretty thin. So we'd need to be developing some systems to at least, you know, get our own oxygen and it's probably not going to be most effective to have it shipped to us every six to eight months or every two years on a six to eight month journey. So we're going to be having to be developing systems that just support ourselves to begin with. And um, in my head, if there's a lot of CO2 on Mars, it might be an effective thing to start using um, sort of adapted, maybe like plant-based uh, technologies. Uh, Cause one of the things we're getting better at is how do we use I don't want to say hijack biological systems, but tweak biological systems or or uh, sort of use them to inspire engineering. Because uh, I think there's people have been toying around with like chloroplast solar panels and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know how that would really get exploited for, for Mars, but I think it would be those kind of things that I'm, I'm just heading straight to at this conference.
3: Yeah, they're, they're all of that. And, you know, as you mentioned, of course, you can't ship in this oxygen or the water or the fuel forever. And so first thing, prior to some of the things you're talking about, is just utilizing the CO2 atmosphere to create oxygen. And so and we've done that already for the first time with the MOXIE um, experiment on the Perseverance rover for the first time. We did an ISRU in situ resource utilization experiment, and they created oxygen by sucking in the CO2 atmosphere of Mars and just proved out the technology for the first time ever. Wow. And so that, that was significant. We're pretty we were pretty sure we could do it. It's see it's pretty basic chemistry. Right. But so we've the never first, done it on another planet. The
0: first little vial of oxygen is ready and waiting for somebody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're done. Well,
1: that's it. <laughs>
3: that's...
1: And I'm gonna have to get reimbursed for that from my university travel yeah. <laughs> funds too, right? <laughs> see, I don't know if that's covered. I'll have to look into that. <laughs> I get a per diem for travel and food, but not oxygen. Not oxygen.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you always joke about. Oh, the, the airlines are going to start charging us for oxygen soon. Well, they <laughs> probably right. will to Mars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so, right. And on Mars. That's right. Matt, but, what are you. Oh, go ahead, quick I was just going to mention all these other things you mentioned. You know, you you need an integrated, holistic approach. You know, as you're building these structures, you know, as you're thinking about the agriculture, the feed people, you work the agriculture within mm. the environmental system mm. to use the, use the nature that we already know work here on Earth to figure this out. I mean, this is within the habitats. Externally, you know, a lot of people advocate terraforming. I've never been. I think that's just so far off. I, I, we barely know how to. We don't know even how to deal with our own atmosphere here on Earth let alone trying to figure out how we're going to terraform Mars. So I generally try to avoid that topic, but hmm. within the environments that we're creating, there are a lot of different ways of using these technologies or overlapping technologies that can grow as food. They can also uh, help, you know, create oxygen or scrub, s- scrub the um, oxygen, the environments, you know, natural filters as well. Yeah. So there are a lot of different ways of doing that or using the CO2, uh, you know, for other things as well. You, know, you can use the CO2 to create products. You can, And then, of course, there is water on Mars also. So you don't even have to, you know, if you can access it, you don't have to bring hydrogen from Earth. Just use the water that's there and you can create the oxygen, the water, of course, and methane fuel. So yeah. hopefully we'll be able to do all that in two on mars to sustain whatever future society is there
0: yeah and i note that for instance one of the there's many many great works of science fiction that sort of take up this uh, question and imagine it um one of my favorites is uh, which i mentioned many times is uh, kim stanley robinson's series uh, red mars green mars blue mars where he the sort of terraforming of Mars and all the society changes that come about, both there and on Earth, because of it. But uh, one of the sort of hand-wavy things he had to do, I think, as a device to just sort of make it possible for that to happen was basically self-replicating robots, uh, you know, on, on a vast scale. He just sort of sets them afoot, and and that's something that's still quite far off. Theoretically possible, but still quite far off. Um, Matt, what's a... What's a, a session you you are definitely attending well i don't know about a session
1: but an important part of visiting conferences is actually ditching the schedule (laughs) um, to go you know visit the local sites or just hang out with your friends i'm thinking this is going to be harder on mars because you're you're constrained to the habitat right um, you can't just wander off. Or maybe you can, actually. We'll, if, if by the point we have a hotel, will, I don't know, will it be possible to just go for a stroll on the surface of Mars, presumably with some kind of life support system? But
3: I, I think the people are working on these suits. I think that's probably the case. And then you'll have, if the hotel will certainly offer these pressurized rovers ah, so it will bring you, guys, you to the various mm-hmm. sites, you know, if you want to Go off to Olympus Mons, the largest, uh, you know, mountain in the solar system, or Valles uh, Marineris, the biggest, deepest canyon in the solar system. You know, or, or, or all the other sites. There are lots of things to see on Mars. Of course, we all know that. You know, <laughs> and so I think by the time we have this, it just makes sense that you're going to have, you know, we've perfected the spacesuits and how it's going to deal with the martian dust the dust is a concern because uh, yeah. it can clog systems but then you have the vehicles which have already been working on pressurized rovers so just try to fi- try to figure out you know the right way so you'll have kind of like the buses that pick you up at the airport or ho- for hotels you know so you'll have the hyatt mm-hmm. you know olympus Mons shuttle or mm-hmm. something yeah. like that
1: yeah that's an important part of the ritual too actually is deciding who you're going to share the airport shuttle with um and that's and we probably wouldn't have a whole lot of choice in there right because there's one rover for the the hotel so you have well, i guess you've already spent six months on the on the flight with that unpleasant colleague so right. no
3: one's hours. talking mm-hmm. anymore anyway. yeah and, and you <laughs> killed him three months ago so it's not yeah. a problem <laughs> i'm <laughs> yeah, also
2: assuming are... there's no you know mars uber mars Lyft, like you know whatever's um, there you've got to deal with yeah
3: Although well uber... may, maybe a literal lift That's right. You know, we (laughs) we tested a helicopter on Mars, you know, and still continue ingenuity. And it'd be interesting to see if you could create little carriers for people as well. Maybe it just might be too big a hurdle with the thin atmosphere. But although it's one of these things which could will probably come into play as well, because we're certainly going to have a lot of drones on Mars. And Mm -hmm. how could we utilize those? within the tourism business. Yeah. As you're along Olympus Mon, you have your own personal drone that's going down the side of the cliff or into lava tubes.
0: Um,
3: Could be interesting. Totally.
0: And actually in Kim Stanley Robinson's book, he uses Zeppelins or, you know, airships, things like that. Balloons. You can imagine balloons.
3: Oh, that's been a concept out there for a while. And we almost did send a balloon to Mars once. Wow. Um, And so, yeah, balloons are a good option. You know, they've designed Mars airplanes as well. And so there have been a number. There was actually a plan for a little while to try to send a Mars airplane back in 2003 on the 100th anniversary of the Wright Brothers flight. That didn't huh. happen, obviously, but
0: it was it was being considered. That's cool. Oh, the, 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 um, the opportunity, uh, the helicopter that's there, uh, does have a tiny sliver of the fabric from the Wright. The original Wright flyer on it, it is pretty cool, and uh, so. But getting back to you know, Gabby, you were talking about life, and I think you know, talking about Mars, uh, the hottest topic of all, and and we have no idea where we would be in the process of, of this by the time this conference happens. But is the question of is there life on Mars, and if there is, is it was it original to Mars only, or does it do does it have DNA like we have on Earth? What does that mean? Um, Let's imagine that there is, if life is discovered on Mars, um, in, in any of the planning that's going on now, Chris, is there, uh, you know, we, it, it, there's this strange thing about planetary protection, even now, you know, we, we try to, the, the rovers are, of course, sterilized, and we don't want to bring any life from Earth to Mars. Uh, not just so that it doesn't accidentally destroy any life that's there, but also it would just mess up the experiments nonetheless. But um, now we're talking about entire, you know, civilization <laughs> having moved there. Um, it, here's here's my thought. If life is discovered on Mars, my guess is it seems that Mars is so toxic and sterile that if life is discovered, it's it's going to be in some kind of isolated pocket, either because it's underground or on just some particular region. And then if we go there to build our own society, we might intentionally stay very far away from it. But I can imagine one of the coolest parts of the conference being, do we get to go to that spot or what? what's being shown at the conference in relation to this? Yeah, this, this, this is topic. one of
3: the most controversial questions of the day, planetary okay. protection. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And, you
3: know, if we discovered light before we went to Mars, that might slow down us going to Mars because, huh. you know, there's a big debate where we're going to go, how we should deal with uh, potential life on Mars. And yeah, you're right. Most people believe if there is microbial life on Mars, it is subsurface, you know, in some of these. There is liquid water below the surface on Mars and other places. So it potentially could be a thriving Ecosystem below the surface, as far as we know, it might account for the methane that we've encountered, we've seen in the atmosphere, which we can't really account for otherwise, because of course the you know Mars used to be extremely geologically active, but as far as we know, it's no longer geologically active. So there there are a number of questions: where the methane is coming from? But one of the it it is a byproduct of life, of course, but it's also of course of geological activity, volcanic activity. But, you know, it, it, but it does pose a problem because, of course, humans, if we go there and we're there in great numbers, uh, we are giant bundles of microbes. We just spew off microbes. And people think about spacesuits as being airtight. They are not. They have positive pressure and they leak. And so as long as they're leaking outwards, you know, you're protected. But, you know, if we're walking around Mars, Basically, at least with current current spacesuits, you know, and you could have some sort of camera to detect microbes, you know, we'd be just like pig pen and and microbes coming out of us. Yeah. And so it's going to be very difficult to keep uh, Mars non-contaminated. So they've talked about having special zones, which we don't go to. And then we have places where we will go to, whereas we try to preserve certain areas of Mars. Um, But... It's challenging, and of course, on the backwards contamination problem, if there is, we don't know if it's bad for us. Right. If it would be, right. if it would kill us, or if it would be like an invasive species here on Earth, we brought it back and start, you know, taking over and killing, you know, the indigenous life here on Earth. Even if it didn't kill us instantaneously, right. kind of like uh, pythons in Florida or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, Gabby, you have experience with. Uh with uh, planetary protection or hazmat suits um (laughs) (laughs) on the much smaller scale um i'm curious what i'm trying to imagine for instance well what what uh what environmental protection might the hotel on mars institute just to do its best to protect the outside atmosphere of mars or something like that what is the largest Like, i know you wear a particular suit um when you go in, so it's, 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 you try to, it's the easiest thing to do to protect yourself uh, from things going in or out um, is to surround you, the individual. But what are the largest f- facilities we have that are sterile in some way, um, either for yeah, so, air going out or in? Yeah.
2: So there's a couple different ways you can kind of do this, and it depends where you want the sterility. Um, so, for example, if you were working in a clean room, so a place with, like, robotics and stuff like that where you don't want any outside right. dust uh, coming in, the, what you do is you have a positive pressure system, so it's always blowing air out. Um, right. If you want a, an environment where the thing in it is not getting out, that's you have a negative pressure system. And this is what we use in the BSL-3 when we're working with pathogens. Well, it's always on, not just when we're working with pathogens. Right. Um, but essentially, the air is always flowing into... The facility, so that no wonkiness gets in there. Um, I suspect it's going to be difficult to do for an entire planet, like interaction with an entire planet. Uh, because on one hand, say you don't want the Mars microbes getting in, okay, cool. Then you can just say positive pressure system, great. Uh, but then, in that sense, you're blasting your microbes out into the Martian environment, right? Um, and and these systems too, you know, they require a lot of engineering. I mean, think about it. If you are always sucking air in, in a negative pressure system, where the hell is it going? Mm -hmm. You can't just Uh keep building pressure. Um, So then you have really complex filtration systems to make sure you can bring some air back out. Same thing with a positive pressure system. If you're constantly blasting air out of there, you have to have some way of bringing clean air in so you don't just turn yourself into a vacuum. Um, So I'm kind of imagining maybe you'd have some sort of double-layered system where in some way you know you go into a first chamber and it you know blasts all the Martian air out and then you know sterilizes you in your spacesuit or whatever. Then you go into another chamber and it, it you know blasts all the the hotel air in. Um, and there you you know maybe strip off your spacesuit or what have you. And then I don't know maybe go through another kind of shower. Humans are hard to sterilize as a general rule. Yeah. Um, And, you know, maybe this is something we're very much like going in and out of a BSL-3, you have multiple layers of clothing. So you have first outer space suit, then some sort of inner suit that is uh, also maybe clean, but is more contiguous with like the hotel environment. Um, And then that is what you shed in like the middle layer. But, you know, again, that's so much logistics just to get in and out of a building i suspect at a certain point human beings just sort of might throw up our hands and go ah we did our best uh this (laughs) one spray of hand sanitizer all over you is basically enough yeah
0: yeah it reminds me of like the uh you know when well you do see this and hotels will say we are we're pro environment or whatever and like really i mean you know just because there's a little postcard on my bed sheet (laughs) It says, like, are they really not using bleach or God knows what chemicals in the process? However, I am excited about everything you just described, Gabby. Basically, to me, boiled down to one thing is that, that the air itself would constantly have to be sterilized. And that just says to me, dry skin. And I do, when I do travel, I do. I don't know where I got this. I am no beauty queen by any means or, you know, spa hound. However, I love all the little things you get in the hotel. So, the lotions, oh, sure. the things like yeah. that. I'm bringing that home from <laughs> Mars, you know, my, from my my uh, the Olympus Mons uh, Hilton. It's going to be fabulous. Um, a- as we kind of r- wrap up, g- Chris, what is, what really, what do you really let your heart and your mind leap here? What is, what is it going to be like? You know, you, let's say you're attending this conference. What is the thing you're, One of the things you're most looking forward to and just how do you feel as you imagine uh, actually getting to attend this conference on Mars?
3: Well, I imagine it being in this big dome where you actually have the entire Mars environment around you. So you're just sitting. Imagine sitting in an auditorium with this glass dome, whereas you have the Mars landscape all around you. You can look up in the sky at certain points. You can look up and actually see the pale blue dot of Earth. (laughs) So you can see it. You know, we've had pictures of that from Curiosity Rover. And so, you know, and imagine, imagine, you know, is your now all, pretty much all, not all the answers, but many of the answers that you've been asking for, frankly, hundreds of years now, but specifically for the last 50 years have been answered. It, it, it would just be extraordinary. Imagine kind of, it, you kind of mentioned the trip back before. Uh, I think I think this relates to a an additional level to the overview effect, in yeah, Frank, or the book that Frank White wrote. You know yeah. the the feeling that people get, you know, astronauts get when they see our own planet from orbit from the first time. That yeah. transformative effect. I think this would be whether it be a conference or anything else. I think this will be even greater when we go to Mars, as we set foot on another planet. We see the planet from another another um, you know see the young planet from in orbit and then land and you know experience an entirely different way of operating you know as part of this conference and then going and then getting back to earth i think you will appreciate earth more as well because as expect spectacular as mars will be i think you'll realize how wonderful we have it right now how how bad it could be you know, on the planet, if we don't take care of the planet as well. Yeah. And so looking at the contrast differences, I think it'll make you appreciate Earth, mm. but also appreciate, you know, the need and why we're exploring space. Yeah, I don't know if that answered your
0: question, no, but I, it was all that came out. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that was a, that's a beautiful vision. And, and and Matt, you've been given the keynote spot here. And and uh, how would you place this in a historical context as, as we're in this dome and looking. I love that image, Chris, of looking up at the the pale blue dot. Uh, uh, Earth looks well, like just another I mean, yeah, star. Hopefully
1: and it would be one of these speeches that people would be reading a generation from now, right? Like mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kennedy's inauguration and such. Yeah. Um, uh, you don't have case, much of an ego, do you? Well, I was going to say, in which case I, <laughs> should, I should not be giving the, the keynote. <laughs> well, I was
0: going to say, I hope it turns out better than Kennedy's inauguration. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm happy to do the introduction. I'm pretty good at introducing other people
0: when they're going to give good speeches. So. Right. But, but, but what would you be thinking as you're sitting in the conference, looking up at the dome and looking at Earth? I mean, thinking about other significant conferences or you know times that humans have gathered uh, in the history of uh, science. And, well, I and... mean, generally, scientific gatherings
1: are not great moments. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> um, the, the work of science gets done um, in small groups and in labs and people arguing over tables. Um, the, the big conferences are when you uh, tell the story that you want people to remember. Um, so this isn't going to be an event where Science is getting done. It's going to be a place where we uh, set the narrative of how we're going to tell the story about how science gets done for a generation, for the future, and then we'll make more work for historians fixing that generation or fixing that narrative to figure out what actually happened.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. You know that I can imagine right the conference and the um, you know if the uh, the seminars are all recorded and transcribed and all that kind of stuff. It really. Uh... As a documentary filmmaker, I I love that kind of thing because it does, it fixes it in time. We could go back and read the minutes of any conference in the past and there would be all kinds of things in there that would have been incredibly mundane to the people at the time. But it's like, whoa, look at that, you know. look at what they were dealing with at the time and look how culturally different that was. Look how they spoke about it then as we wouldn't talk about it that way now and things like that. Um, And so getting to the, just looking at the conferences coming up right now, just, Chris, for for just a minute. The one on earth, right? The one on earth. Yeah, the, uh, (laughs) which is happening. Uh, Just give us the dates again and uh, what's just sort of a, just a quick sort of smattering of the kind of topics that uh, people could uh, attend. Yeah, sure.
3: It's taking place May seventeenth through nineteenth at the George Washington University in Washington D.C. And as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of wide range of stuff. We'll be talking about um, the big question: Will we have people on returning to the moon by the mid twenty twenties and Mars by the mid twenty thirties? We'll be giving overviews of the current si- international science missions. Uh, we'll be looking at the HLS program, that's the one about landing on the Moon, as well as Artemis 1 and 2. But as I mentioned before, we'll be talking about innovation, all these different things like eclis which is how we're going to breathe, environmental control and life support systems. We'll be talking about food on Mars, basically how we're going to create food through agriculture, through synthetic biology, you know, through cell-grown meat, things like that. All these different interesting technologies that could be transformative. We have one on um, keep staying, you know, human health. You know, particularly this is interesting because a lot of lessons have been learned in the last couple of years. You know, through COVID, you know, on things that will be useful yeah. for Mars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on yeah. remote medicine, on on, yeah. on basically planetary protection as well as we're trying to cope with, you know, controlling you know viruses, etc. And so. This, these are some of more of the co- topics. We're also going to have one, art and music in space. Um, Dr. Cyan Proctor, who is on Inspiration4, will be on that panel. Awesome. Cool. Um, oh, cool. You know, so it goes on and on. We have a wonderful, broad, diverse panel of people, uh, as I mentioned, including the NASA administrator and high-level industry and commercial folks. Policy exp- experts, well, I'm sure we haven't confirmed, but we'll certainly have a member of Congress speaking as well. We just haven't confirmed who that will be yet. Right. So a wide range of topics, fantastic. including STEM
0: education topics as well. Right on. And uh, is there a link people should go to? I'll, I'll put it in the notes. But uh... Just
3: go to exploremars.org and just follow the link to the conference.
0: Exploremars.org. Well, fantastic. Check it out, everybody. Gabby, you have something to plug this week.
2: Yeah, I do. Um, So it's contract has not been uh, delivered to me yet. Um, So I'm just waiting to send them that. But uh, I am getting one of my short stories published, uh, actually Ah. professionally for the first time, uh, which is pretty hype. Um, So uh, when it launches, if you're curious and I'll give you guys a a date once I have more information about when it's going to be published formally. Um, but I, uh, my short story is going to be in uh, Neon Hemlock's uh, Luminous and Machinations um, anthology. Uh, so when that actually drops and is formally published, I will give you guys a date.
0: Hey. And the title of the story?
2: A Sword Between the Stars.
0: A Sword Ooh. Between the Stars. This is beautiful. It
2: is Pacific Rim in space, basically. <laughs>
0: awesome! <laughs> awesome. All well, right. that's very exciting. That's very exciting. So we will look forward to that. Uh, Matt, how about you? Publish or perish. Anything coming up? No, just <laughs> just perishing. Mm. Just <laughs> <laughs> high five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Chris, thank you. So great to have you back, and I'm I'm super psyched for the uh, Humans to Mars summit coming up. Uh, Explore Check it out. Um, also on Twitter, are you on uh, Twitter or uh, any other social media? You want people to visit? Hi, I'm, I'm not
3: the best social media person myself, but I right. believe my Twitter handle is Carberry2033. At, um, you know, so I am, but it's not not my strongest point. But right. exploring Mars is, itself is very good at it. Yes. <laughs> and I leave yes. it to uh, my my talented social
0: media experts to manage all that. Fantastic, and we are at What the If Show at What the If Show on Twitter. Um, uh, Twitter, perhaps a future SpaceX product. I don't know, depending oh, on what Elon's yeah. plans. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> <I know. laughs> the whims of Elon Musk. Um, but uh, uh, we are also on Patreon, and, and we thank all of you for your support there. Um, you can become a member of What the If. We have all kinds of cool stuff for you: uh, wearables, drinkables. <laughs> All kinds of no, we don't have edibles yet. We'll have to work on that. No. Uh, perhaps <laughs> from, perhaps Mars based, um, but Patreon.com/slash whattheif to find out about that, or just go to our website WhatTheIf.com and you can find out more about that and learn more about us, and learn more about uh, today's episode and all our other episodes. Um, Gabby, would you lead us? Chris, do you, I don't know if you remember our closing ritual, um, but uh, Gabby, if you could uh, refresh Chris on and and everyone in our audience, how do we close out? Our episodes
2: At the end of each episode as we are assailed with all of the ifs on this completely new world for us to explore we all shout the name of the show in unison So if you are ready what the is.
0: Mars or bust Everybody go there and, uh, and come back. Have a safe trip back. Uh, enjoy. Make new friends. Um, and thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you all next week.